Let's open our Bibles today, please, to the book of Luke, chapter 2. As you're doing that, uh, let me just say one more word about this Bible reading schedule that's out in the foyer. Uh, Somebody came up to me not long ago with this in his hand and said, this has transformed my life. You know, it's one thing to read the Bible piecemeal. You know, we open it up and we read a chapter here and we look back there and we read that book and but this, when you do it this way, it gives you the whole story. It gives you a bigger, a better view of the Bible. So uh, take this and cherish it, okay? This time of the year, the roads are packed with travelers, aren't they? Well, back during biblical times, at this time of the year, the roads were packed with travelers too. And uh, the story is told in Luke chapter 2. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. The census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city, the place of his nativity. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary his betrothed wife uh, who was with child and so it was that while they were there the days were completed for her to be delivered and she brought forth her firstborn son wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. every time I read verse number seven I am I almost have the same reaction those two little words no room uh, they characterized the life of Jesus on earth when he came. No room. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch or guarding over their flocks by night. A shepherd had to uh, be a good guardian, beating off the animals, uh, the robbers, everything that would hurt the flock. That was the ministry of the shepherd. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings, a great joy, which shall be to all people. And there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And uh, when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying that was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. And Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. Back during this first Christmas, uh, the roads were packed with travelers. And it was all because of um, this one person, uh, Caesar Augustus. In uh, Micah chapter 5, verse 2, 
remember that was the prophecy concerning the exact spot where Jesus was to be born. But thou Bethlehem Ephrathah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth to me, who is to be ruler in Israel, whose going forth have been from old, from everlasting. Bethlehem Judah. That prophecy was given 700 years before the time of Christ. I uh, discovered and I just rediscovered the fact that uh, Thanksgiving and Christmas is the most traveled times in our country, the busiest times of the season. And you know, everybody tries to get home for at least one of those two occasions, Thanksgiving or Christmas. And every now and then at Christmas you hear that song, I'll be home for what? For Christmas, right? It was introduced in 1943 and sung by Bing Crosby from the point of view of an overseas soldier during World War II, writing a letter to his family. And in the message, he tells his family that he's coming home and to prepare the holiday for him, including snow, mistletoe, and presents under the tree. Well, the song ends kind of on a melancholy note when the soldier says, I'll be home for Christmas, if only in my dreams. Well, you know, Mary and Joseph, they, they didn't know anything about the holiday that we call Christmas, but they were going to be home on Christmas. They were there for the first one. You know, whenever we put the Christmas story in its historical context, and there were people moving all around the world at this time. Uh, their vision of what we're going through now, the world was in motion. Because of this one man, Caesar Augustus, look him up. Read about him. He is known as the Roman John the Baptist because he prepared the way for Jesus to come. He reigned over the Roman Empire from 27 B.C. to 14 A.D. And during his administration, he had peace on his terms. That means he conquered the lands and he said, okay, we're going to have peace. And so they had peace. Peace through strength. That was his philosophy. And if you look up history, you'll find that that was called Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. And at that particular time, there was a relative peace all over the Roman Empire. Um, he was a very, very powerful person. Uh, Justin Martyr, who lived not long after this time, wrote that this, this census that uh, people went to participate in uh, could uh, be read about even in his time, about 150 A.D. Uh, it's interesting that one person like this could be so powerful. Verse number one, and it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. What power? You know, you and I, we watch the news and somebody comes to power in a particular area of the, of the world and we cringe. Uh, because of the absolute domain they have over the people and how much heartbreak and, and they can cause uh, if they're not doing the right thing. Well, here we find that God moved upon this person's heart. This man had, I guess you would say, all power. In John chapter 19, verse 10 and 11, Jesus was confronted by another Roman who believed he was powerful too. Remember the Bible there says, Pilate said to him, Are you not speaking to me? Do you not know that I have power to crucify you and I have power to release you? Jesus answered, You could have no power 
at all against me unless it were given to you from above. The same principle applies right here to Caesar Augustus. Where did he get his power? Well, he got this power from God. Uh, Proverbs 21.1 is a verse I hope I don't wear you out with, but I'll tell you what, you need to put it in your pocket. Let's read it together. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. Like the rivers of water, he turns it wherever he wishes. This is where he got his power, right here. You know, whenever they went out on a census, uh, you know, whenever we think a census, we think maybe somebody's going to come to your door. Somebody's going to mail something to you in the mail. You've got to fill it out and send it back. Well, they weren't looking for people. They weren't looking for this many people and that many people. They were looking for money. That was the motivation behind this census. Uh, the Roman Empire wanted your money. And, uh, so, but time was running out. Mary and Joseph were living up in Nazareth, and, and Micah 5.2 said that uh, the Savior would be born in Bethlehem. And so how is Mary and Joseph going to get from Nazareth down to Bethlehem? Well, this decree sure did help them. Uh, he says here, I want you, he said, I want you to go back to the place of your town. So they all went to be registered, everyone to his own city, the place of his birth. Uh, you know, that always troubled me. I couldn't understand why, they, why that was. Why, why didn't they just kind of register them wherever they were? Why did they make the whole country move? And I was reading a very interesting, I think, reliable commentary on this subject. And the commentator said this, Augustus was known to be a very sensitive person to nationalistic feelings of his subjects. And so he commanded them to return to the cities of family origin for the census. In this way, Augustus softened the blow for many. They had to travel, they had to pay taxes, but they would also gather together with their family and see relatives that perhaps they had not seen for a long, long time. Now that's the best reason right now that I can come up with, and uh, at least we have finally discovered a reason for this. Well, the Bible says that they went on this journey from Galilee to Bethlehem, about 80 miles. And we were having fun in the Saturday night service last night thinking about what particular city is 80 miles from here. And somebody said Bedford. Is that right? Is that, is that right, George? You know, you know towns and places. You're a, you're a driver. Uh, how would you like to take your almost-to-be-delivered wife uh, on a trip, either I don't know how they traveled, by donkey or uh, from here to there. I wouldn't want to travel that on anything. But this was a long journey. But uh, the decree went out that everybody should go to the place of their nativity. Well, their greeting in Bethlehem is always interesting to me, as I mentioned when I read it to you. Look at verse 7. Uh, and he brought forth his firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. This was the home of King David, Bethlehem. Joseph and Mary were descendants of David. Uh, and uh, whenever they got into town, they saw that sign in the window, no vacancy. Have you ever seen that? Sure you have. No room. That's kind of prophetic of our Lord's life on earth. Whenever the Lord, the Bible says, He came unto His own, but His own received Him not. Jesus came to the nation of Israel, and they said, 
No thanks. No room. You know, always, whenever we see a, a picture like this, here's the villain, right? Uh, the innkeeper. He takes a hit all the time, doesn't he? We don't even like him. We don't know him. We don't like him. He turned out Mary and Joseph. We feel sorry for them. The inn was full. Well, the roads were packed with travelers. That's why the inn was filled. Years ago, uh, we went to Nags Head, North Carolina. We do that almost every summer, somewhere along that outer banks down there. And we got this, we were going to drive halfway and stay and then get up and go the distance. And, but we were doing so good driving, uh, Danny and Danny and his car and my, my car, that we, we thought, well, I, we'll just drive straight through. So we got there one night and we thought, oh, yeah, there's going to be a room. Guess what? No room. I mean, we worked every angle that night. We contacted everybody that even looked like there was a room. So what we finally did is we finally pulled in uh, to a campground. And he, and he had this boat, and that's a whole other story. <laughs> Don't take your boat to the ocean. That's that story. I won't talk about that. So we're, he, we pulled into the campground, and uh, we thought, well, at least we could get off the road and he had this SUV. I slept in the back of the SUV. With one eye open, he and Blake and them slept in the boat. That wasn't very cool. And next to us, there was a tent, and these young people were all smoking dope all night <laughs> in the tent. And I just knew they were going to get out of there and kill us. And so I slept with one eye open all night. That was a miserable, miserable night. There was I know what it is for no room in the inn. Well, you know, there was no room in the inn, and, you know, we feel sorry for Mary and Joseph. But there were plenty of mangers around that area. Uh, God provided a private birth room. Uh, in order to appreciate this, this idea, you have to understand a little bit about the ancient inn back in that day. And if you have a, could get a Bible customs book, uh, it might help you a little bit. They were very dirty and very populated and, and uh, very just a place you wouldn't want to stay. They had kind of a common area open and they had these places that were off all around it, no privacy. And so I'm sure that this was a, an immense blessing uh, to Mary and Joseph to find a little cave out here on the side of the hill that would be private for them to have this child. Again, A.D. 150, Justin Martyr said that the place that Jesus was born was a cave in Bethlehem. Later, in 330, Constantine the Great made a church over the cave. And if you go to today, you'll see that church. Now, I'll remember the shepherd's field. Uh, the shepherd's field was an interesting place. Uh, it, was, uh, it was the field my mother fell down in when we were on a tour in Israel and broke her hip. I'll remember the shepherd's field. She came back to the bus and she said, John, I something's wrong with me. So we laid her out in the back of the bus and, and the tour guide said, we've got to get her to the hospital. And so we took her to Adassa Hospital in Jerusalem. They said, your mother has a broken hip. Uh, and she's got to stay here and be operated on. Well, I had the tour group, and we went on, and I left my mother in Jerusalem. Uh, they took very, very good care of her. They watched over like she was one of our, their own. 
And a Christian pastor visited her constantly in the hospital, and we would talk back and forth. How you doing, Mom? Well, she finally got able, uh, strong enough to travel. They put her on a plane in Tel Aviv and sent her to Rome. I got on a plane here in New York and went to Rome. I met my mother. And that was a struggle. She was almost immobile. We had to stay the night in some place in Rome, came back here, got a private plane from JFK up to Washington, PA. I'll remember the Shepherd's Field. Uh, it's a, a rocky place to walk in. Uh, the sheep, though, uh, the, out in the Shepherd's Fields were being raised for sacrifice. Uh, and they were to be taken to Jerusalem, to sold, sold in the temple area to be sacrificed. Or people would pick them up as they came to uh, Jerusalem on their way through Bethlehem. The sacrificial system was large, prosperous, and lucrative. And when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, this system was on its way out. People were going to lose their jobs in the future. It was coming to an end. Because there was another lamb that was taking the place of all these sacrificial lambs that had to be that had to be killed for the atonement of the sins of the people of Israel. Uh, John the Baptist did a pretty good job introducing Jesus. Let's read about it. All right. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, "Behold." the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Here is God's last Lamb, the perfect sacrifice for sins of all mankind. Uh, this Lamb that God sent was prophesied in Isaiah 53, verse number 7. Let's read this together, please. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before his shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Look at this. He was led as a what? A lamb to the slaughter. Isaiah 53 is a story. It's a biographical sketch of the life of Jesus. Matthew 27, 12 through 14 says this. And now, as he was being accused by the chief priests and elders, he answered nothing. But Pilate said to him, Do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But he answered him not a word, so that the governor marveled greatly. Now, Jesus fulfilled completely the prophesy or the prophecy of Isaiah 53. And then we have Hebrews 10:12. Let's read that. But this man after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. One sacrifice for all sin for all time. That's the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. I was reading in um, Revelation chapter 5. Way to go. Revelation chapter 5, that uh, the Father in heaven uh, had a scroll. Do you remember that story? We're going to look there in a minute. And it was a scroll about the future. 
And they were trying in heaven to find out who, who was worthy to open the scroll of the future. And we know the only person who holds the future is who? It's the Lord, right? And so, and so they looked around and they couldn't find anybody who was worthy to open the scroll. And uh, one of the elders up there in heaven said, listen, I know. I think the lion of the tribe of Judah, the heir to David's throne, could open that scroll. Turn with me to uh, Revelation chapter 5 this morning, okay? Revelation chapter 5, that's the last, of course, the last book in the Bible. And uh, we'll just take a, a peek this morning at, at this story. Verse number 6. They're trying to find somebody to open the scroll of the future. And in verse number 6 it said, I looked and behold in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures and in the midst of the elders stood a what? A lamb. Wow. This is really, really interesting. You know, many people have the idea that the crucifixion and the preaching about Christ is just for now. But it's going to be something that we are continually reminded about in the ages to come. It's going to be something that we will cherish and, and cling to throughout eternity. Look at this. In the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain. Now, we know who this is, don't we? Having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Then he came and took the scroll. Here's the one who is worthy. He took the scroll out of his right hand of him and sat on the throne. That's God the Father. Now when he had taken the scroll, the, Lord, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. There is this Lamb in heaven. Uh, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And look what they did. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take this girl and to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood. That's in heaven right there. You know, we sing about the blood and we talk about the blood in, in, uh, in our time now, but I'll tell you what, we're going to be singing about it and talking about it throughout eternity because it is the great redemption price that our Lord paid for your salvation. You have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. Man, everybody's going to be there. This is just not for a select few of people. Uh, it's going to be from everybody, every tribe, every tongue, all the people, all the nations. And you've made us kings and priests to God and we shall reign on earth. Look down to verse number 12 saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory. The Lamb. You know what I did? I went into my uh, Bible software on my computer and I said, you know, I want to know how many times Jesus is mentioned as a Lamb in the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible. And I did uh, not a sophisticated count, but I came up with 26 times Jesus is referred to as the Lamb in the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible. And so whenever we get to heaven, uh, you know, we talk about the sacrificial system in the Old Testament of the lambs. 
John the Baptist says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We tell everybody Jesus is the last Lamb. We're going to be thinking about this and rejoicing about this for a long, long time in the future. Well, um, Jesus came, or the Jesus came at this particular time. Let's go back to Luke chapter two. Luke chapter two. He was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king. Look at verse number fifteen. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. I find it very interesting that the announcement was made to shepherds first. These people had a bad reputation. Um, they, They were noted for picking up things that didn't belong to them. They were not allowed to testify in a court of law. They were not reliable they weren't even allowed to come into town people didn't trust them and I don't know whether out by the towns they had a sign that said no shepherds welcomed here but these people were rejected by their culture primarily because of what they did and what it produced in them And it's interesting that Jesus came down and he appeared to them first. Jesus always loves to, I think, defy the odds and show us that the things that we think are first are really really last. And, uh, And he appeared to them first and they became his first testifiers. They couldn't testify in a court of law, but Jesus said, listen, I'm going to show you something I'm not showing anybody else right now. And you're going to go out and tell everybody what you've seen. Jesus entrusted them with the testimony of his birth. Isn't that interesting? The people that were rejected, the people that nobody was interested in and everybody wanted to uh, not get near them. Jesus said, listen, I'm going to show them myself first. And they came to Christ Hebrews 7.25 is is an interesting thing that I think connects some to this. Let's read it. Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Saved to the what? From the guttermost... To the uttermost. That's what Jesus loves to do. Amen. Amen. He loves to find the people that other people say, listen, they can't make it. There's no hope for them. And that's what they were saying at the shepherds at this time. But I'll tell you what, they had a transformation. Jesus loves to reach down into the lives of people that other people have given up on and said, listen, I'm going to take them out of the gutter and I'm going to save them to the uttermost. They're going to be my great disciples on, in this world. The shepherds are changed. I'm sure that after they saw Jesus, they went back to the inn and they said, hey, listen, you know what happened out there? You guys missed out on that. We had like this tremendous choir from heaven that came down. And they said, you did? Yeah, we did. 
Well, uh, this season gives you and me an unparalleled opportunity to talk about Christ. Many years ago, when we were, I think, in the old building over in South Park, we went caroling one time out in Pleasant Hills, uh, right at the, uh, at the juncture there of Route 51 and Lebanon Church. You know, they have those little shops there. And we were passing out tracks that night. It was snowing. We were having the time of our life. And people were taking those tracks like we were giving out candy. And, you know, you hear it all the time. At Christmas time, people's hearts are more open than others. It really is. Don't, uh, don't get turned off with that statement. That's true. And so we were having a great time. We were bold. We were preaching about the Lord to all these people that were in those shops. And at that time, there was a state store selling liquor right there in the shops. And so we set up right in front of the state store to sing Christmas carols. And everybody was walking in to buy their Christmas cheer. We gave them a track. And then we finally got real bold. We went inside and we gave all the employees tracks. And the men, they were taking those tracks. Christmas time, you can do things that you can't do at other times. And so I want to encourage you. Uh, and, we don't, and we're running out of time. I want to encourage you this Christmas to take advantage of the softness of people's hearts and uh, share with them your love for Jesus Christ and share with them your love for them at this Christmas time. All right? Let's bow our heads in prayer. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed uh, this morning, uh, this is a time that I think God draws us close to him and I hope that he draws you close to those who don't know him. Uh, because at this particular time, uh, there are opportunities that aren't available at other seasons. And so I want to encourage you to stand up and be counted. The Lord has revealed himself to you. He has saved you by his blood. And uh, I'll tell you, you have a message. And you don't have to know all the scriptures. You just have to tell your story, that's all. How God met you somewhere along the road. How he changed your life. And so uh, let's kind of make a little list right now between now and Christmas. That's just a week away. And say, you know, I've been putting off uh, talking to my friend about Jesus. But I'm going to go bring the subject up with him. And tell him that, uh, listen, Jesus has come to save all of us. And so I want to encourage you to come to Christ. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for what you're doing in our life and, and uh, how you're changing us uh, step by step. We pray now that as we sing our concluding song of the morning service that you will move upon our heart, Lord. Help us to take advantage of this time uh, and when people's hearts are open and receptive. In Jesus' name we pray.